The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center digs into the archives and discusses some of the most profound sightings on record. She saw the most magnificent object that was hovering and pacing the ferry as it went to the south, and a huge object she described it as a city was hovering above the water. This podcast is supported by The Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a weekly show hosted by Jack Altermat. Jack invites a guest who brings a horrible theater-released movie to dissect. Jack and his guests take you through the highs and lows of the movie and what makes it horrible. New movies, older movies, cult classics, or box office busts. No movie is spared or safe from The Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a fun show with clean language. It's available through Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, StudioDNA.media and everywhere you get your podcasts. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Hey, just a reminder, if you haven't already done so, please take a moment and fill out that survey I've been telling you about. It really helps me out and you'd be really supporting my work and this podcast. Just go to http colon double forward slash survey.libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com forward slash conspiracy hyphen unlimited. Again, http colon double forward slash survey.libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, 
forward slash conspiracy hyphen unlimited, or you can find the URL in the episode notes. Hey, back in December, thanks to Peter Davenport, I was able to break some pretty important news on the UFO front, or at least help break some news. It was a mass sighting of a cluster of up to 150 red lights moving across the United States at incredible speeds. This was seen in 15 states, and he's here to give us an update and also and also discuss some other remarkable UFO sightings. Peter Davenport has been director of the National UFO Reporting Center since 1994. Additionally, he served as the director of investigations for the Washington chapter of the Mutual UFO Network. Peter has had an active interest in the UFO phenomenon from his early boyhood. He experienced his first UFO sighting over the St. Louis Municipal Airport in the summer of 1954, and he investigated his first UFO case during the summer of 1965 in Exeter, New Hampshire. Peter has been witness to several anomalous events, possibly UFO-related, including a dramatic sighting over Baja, California in February 1990, and several nighttime sightings over Washington State in 1992. His graduate education was completed at the University of Washington in Seattle, where he earned an MS degree in the genetics and biochemistry of fish from the College of Fisheries, as well as an MBA degree in finance and international business from the Graduate School of Business. Peter was the founding president of a Seattle-based biotech company, which currently employs over 300 scientists and technicians. In 1986, he was a candidate for the Washington State Legislature, and in 1992, he was a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives. Peter Davenport, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, and thank you very much for the invitation back, Richard. It's Always a pleasure to work with you. Likewise. Well, let's dial back to last December, and uh, you joined me on uh, Conspiracy Unlimited, and and you had also uh, given me sort of a, a heads up of a story that I announced on Coast to Coast, and uh, yeah. this had to had to do with an alleged sighting of uh, over multiple states, some something like fifteen states in the U.S of one or more clusters of red lights. And uh, you had mentioned on the podcast that um, uh, the U.S. Air Force, three or four days later, published an article claiming this supposed mass sighting uh, was caused by a delivery of paratroopers from South Carolina to Nevada. So let's let's uh, talk about that sighting. First, take us back to the actual reports that you were receiving at the uh, National UFO Reporting Center about this massive sighting over 15 states. Yeah, it was I'm delighted to be able to uh, touch on this case, Richard, because it was very exciting at the time and it's getting even more interesting as we discover that the government apparently is feeding disinformation to the American public, but that night, it was Saturday, the 9th of December, 2017, the UFO hotline started lighting up like a Christmas tree, calls coming in from everywhere. Uh, In sequential order, we received reports from, the first ones were from Georgia and South Carolina, then from Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, Washington State, Montana, and a number of other states, including Texas and California. I mentioned Texas because it's a long way out of 
the straight line flight from uh, South Carolina to Nevada, but people claiming that the objects were seen hovering, streaking off, going over the horizon, coming back, all sorts of reports. In fact, I'll leave it to our listeners to read some of the reports for that date, again, the 9th of December, 2017. But I was more confused than edified by many of these reports and by subsequent articles from the Air Force because about the I would say the 13th of December, the U.S. Air Force published an article claiming that they didn't know what I was talking about, that it was a an exercise, an exercise in which, as you correctly stated a moment ago, they flew a bunch of paratroopers, specifically 125 paratroopers from Georgia or South Carolina to Nevada for a parachute jump. Well, I'll leave it to the readers and listeners to uh, determine to their own satisfaction whether that could have been a ca- the case, but I wanted to compliment you, touch on this case to compliment you for being the first person to cover this. You essentially broke the story on the 10th of, 10th of December, for which I will remain eternally grateful. But I mention it, too, because William Puckett, who runs a very nice UFO website. It's UFO, ufosnorthwest.org, I believe it is. Uh, ufosnw.org. Uh, ufosnw.org. Right. Um, actually requested the radar data from the FAA for the state of Montana. And he discovered that there were no military aircraft over Montana that night. He did find a cluster of objects, though, that were moving at an estimated 35 miles an hour, way, way too slow for a military aircraft to be flying. In any event, I thought I would mention it because it is, it was as dramatic an event as the Phoenix Lights, in a sense, and it's gone virtually totally uncovered except in the media except for that announcement you made on the 10th of December for which again I'm quite grateful to you for taking the taking the chance well there's no chance when it comes from Peter Davenport I'm on solid ground so uh, I was merely the conduit you you're responsible for the story getting you know to me so but the where does Montana come into this? Because, uh, I mean, that's certainly not on a flight path from from South Carolina to Nevada. Isn't that interesting? And our listeners, all they have to do is read the reports in sequential order, and they will see that these objects were seen over approximately 15 to 20 states, and they were, in some cases, they were seen to be hovering One woman called. She lives very close to Scott Air Force Base, sort of east or southeast of St. Louis, Missouri. And she was adamant in stating that what she was looking at could not possibly have been any kind of conventional aircraft. And her written, very nice written report she followed up with is posted to our website. But I invite any of our listeners to read the reports. If they disagree with my assessment, I would welcome an email, and I will respond on this one. 
because uh, when you have a cluster of objects, some people said dozens, other people said hundreds of red and white lights. Nobody reported green, which is significant, of course. All aircraft flying at night have to have a green light um, uh, burning on their right wingtip, starboard wingtip. But nobody reported green lights, only red and white lights, which rules out any kind of terrestrial aircraft, in my opinion. Right. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. And, and uh, what about the timing of these sightings? So, for example, if someone was seeing a cluster in Montana uh, and someone else was seeing a cluster in, uh, I don't know, what was one of the other states in, involved? Kansas or Kansas. Wyoming. Okay. Or, well, let's say Kansas yeah. because that's a stretch away from Montana. Uh, so do I mean are we able are you able to piece this together and track these to get some indication of the, the of the speed because I know, I know an, yeah go yeah, ahead go ahead uh, I was just going to say I've done an informal timeline of these sightings and they occurred in sequence the sequence that I cited earlier in this program uh, but we the problem is many people don't look at their watch or their timepiece during a sighting so we don't have exactly accurate times but it's very clear that these objects covered the expanse of the united states almost three thousand miles in approximately two hours so only a supersonic aircraft could have done that and the air force suggested that what everybody was seeing was c-17 or c-130 transport category aircraft Obviously, they're incapable of flying at supersonic speeds. And if you take into consideration 
those instances where the witnesses who submitted written reports claimed that the objects were hovering motionless, you quickly get a sense that the Air Force version of what happened on the 9th of December 2017 is as sour as a lemon. So obviously this this sighting has such import that the U.S. government has decided to respond to it with a very slickly produced piece of disinformation. Exactly. And this is not the first time I've seen it. It happened on the 7th of January, 1995, when a UFO blew up over McMinnville Airport in Warren County, Tennessee. It happened right after the Phoenix Lights. They tried to make people believe that what everybody was seeing were flares launched 60 miles southwest of Phoenix over the Barium Goldwater Gila Bend firing range. Uh, it appears to me, Richard, that the U.S. government, I can't speak to the Canadian government issue, but the U.S. government must have uh, fallacious uh, contingency plans sitting on a shelf such that when one of these events, UFO-related events, occurs, they can pull it off the shelf, write an article, publish it, and who would doubt but what is accurate, of course, because it comes from the government. Are there any other similarities to the Phoenix Lights? Uh, do, do, are, are, are some people reporting that maybe these lights were part of one giant craft? Some people suggest that, although the evidence suggests to me that's not the case, and some of that evidence is very high-quality video that was broadcast by a new television news station in Denver in which you can actually see a cluster of approximately 12 objects flying nose to tail with flashing lights. So uh, other than that, no similarities to the Phoenix lights at all, except both, both instances, uh, the U.S. government came out with information or claims that are totally fallacious, and so fallacious as to be veneer, childish almost. Uh, so the government must be desperate to cover up the UFO phenomenon. Aside from Bill Puckett from UFOs Northwest, his FOIA request in Montana, uh, are there any other FOIA requests afoot in other states pertaining to this sighting? I should have submitted them, but I just run out of time at the end of the day. Time and money. Bill spent, uh, I think, $800 for his FOIA request. Uh, if I had had a benefactor uh, and assistance, I would have requested all the data from all 15 or 20 states from which this incident was reported. How about your colleagues in MUFON? Uh, do they have corresponding reports relating to this evening, December 9th, 2017? Oh, yes. I talked to Jan Harzan the night of the incident when it was in the pro process of developing and appearing to be developing into a very major incident, I called Jan Harzan on his private cell phone and apprised him of what was going on. And he talked to Chase Kletsky, director of uh, investigations for MUFON. And to the best of my knowledge, they did not request data through FOIA. They seem to have accepted the government pontification on this incident without question. Well, that's disappointing. 
Well, I I don't stand in judgment of MUFON. They may have other data that suggested to them differently from what I was seeing, but we I talked to Jan the night of the incident. It was so dramatic from my vantage point. <clears throat> so where do we go from here with this, Peter? Well, it's like so many of the cases, Richard. They slip through the cracks for want of personnel and other resources, time, money. Uh, I've thought that I'd like to write an, uh, an article about this, but at present I am being overwhelmed with the incoming data. I work or am on call two shifts a day, seven days a week to provide the American and Canadian communities with a place to call if they see a UFO. And I'm afraid I'm doing about as much as one person can do. Trying to do more than that is a real challenge. Oh, you're doing the work of 10 people, Peter, for sure. For sure. I think so, too. Well, let's let's hope that someone else is able to, to pick up on this. Um, uh, whether it's, you know, someone uh, like a, another Bill Puckett out there. I'm sure there's yeah. there are other Bill Puckets out there that would be willing maybe to, if they hear this, to pick up the, to pick up the gauntlet and, and run with it. Yeah. The problem is the uh, radar data is timely in nature. Uh, I think they recycle their tapes, if I'm not mistaken, every uh, 30 or 60 days. Ah. So data is gone, but it's, I find it infuriating to have a government that purports to be representative of the interests of the American people turn around and lie to us and feed us disinformation. Uh, it's unacceptable in a, a nation such as ours that, again, the government purports to be representative of our interests, and they're keeping us in the dark. Well, this has been going on at least 70 years, so uh, you'd think, <laughs> we'd think we'd, we'd be used to it by now. But no, uh, and nor should we ever get used to it being lied to by our government. So, so let's talk about, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention before we dip into some of the archives, and that is, uh, this is a point you want to stress, I know, and that is the importance of a written report versus simply uh, a, um, a verbal report. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of the hardest parts of my job, Richard, is trying to get people to recognize that the only kind of report that counts for anything is a detailed written report. Most people call the UFO hotline and they want to talk about their sighting. And they'll take 20 minutes, they'll take 30 minutes, they'll take two hours, and that's time that I really don't have available for devoting to listening to a an oral report. What we need people to do is to write down a detailed account of what it was they saw if they believe they've seen a UFO and submit it using our online report form. MUFON has one. UFOs Northwest has a blank report form as well. And record all of the details. And with that written report, we can then post it we can apprise the world of what people allegedly have seen and just let people know about it generally. So and where, that's the where, important part and, and tell people how they submit their report, where? Yeah. In the case of the National UFO Reporting Center, they can submit that report using our online report form at ufocenter.com 
And we spell center a little strangely down here, Richard. We spell it C-E-N-T-E-R, U-F-O-C-E-N-T-E-R, not T-R-E. So anybody who believes he's seen a UFO, whether it was eight minutes ago or eight decades ago, I would encourage them to write out a detailed version. Most people can do it in two or three short paragraphs. We can always get more data at a later date and submit a report using that online report form. Ready to become a leader? Enroll in Army ROTC. You could get a full tuition scholarship and you'll graduate a leader and an officer in the U.S. Army. Army officers inspire strength in others. To receive more information about the Army ROTC program, visit GoArmy.com forward slash podcast today. That's GoArmy.com forward slash podcast today. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, is here. Now, the, in terms of data, are reports going up or down? Are you able to trend this, let's say, since, I don't know, 2015, for example? Yes. Are they going up or down? They're going down in volume. And we have no explanation for this. I've talked to... Oh, I've talked to several people in MUFON about this, state directors, field investigators. I've talked to Jan Harzan about it. In fact, we've actually wondered whether reports might be being intercepted electronically, so we're getting a reduced flow of reports. I've talked to uh, 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 Mr. Marsh, who is the editor of the UFO Journal for MUFON, Roger Marsh, and uh, he agrees that the volume of reports is, has diminished over the last two years. And again, I have no explanation for it other than what I've just cited. And can you, can you, right. can you affix a sort of a, a percentage? Is it dropping off 10%, 25%, 50%? Well, we used to post every month between 450 and 600 reports. That was up until approximately two years ago. They've now dropped off to 250 to 350 reports. So in rough round figures, we're receiving 
approximately half the volume of reports that we were getting two years ago. It's a very, it's one of the many mysteries surrounding the UFO phenomenon. I have no explanation for it. It's interesting because sociologically a skeptic might say whenever there's something prominent in the news about UFOs, that's going to encourage people to report. Uh, and, and yet we had, of course, that monumental uh, disclosure in December with the, um, the the whistleblower from the Pentagon talking about the advanced yeah. aerial uh, threat assessment um, project. Uh, one would then expect, according to that line of reasoning that since December 2017, we should see a sharp uptick in reports. Yeah. That was a very interesting announcement they made. It was a week after the December 9th incident. And I've often wondered whether the government decided that they'd better release something after that incident on the 9th of December. But that is pure conjecture on my part. Um, it's interesting that since December 16th of 2017, the uh, AATIP has released, for all intents and purposes, they have released but one incident, one sighting, one UFO report that comes from the Navy pilot who tracked one off the coast of, uh, off the coast of California. Right, San, San Diego. Diego, right, yes. And in that time... I believe I've posted probably 1,200 to 1,500 reports that have come in since December of this past year. So I'm conf more confused by the AATIP revelation than I am edified by it. I, d I don't understand why they, with a great deal of flourish and articles in the New York Times, have essentially released but one report. I hope there are more. Me too, me too. Let's dip into the archives. This one uh, jumped out at me immediately because uh, I've, even though I'm up here in Toronto, I have occasion to go down to New York and I remember a highlight for me taking my boys on the Staten Island Ferry uh, oh, yeah. in New York. And uh, this goes back to 1995, I believe, when it occurred and it was reported three years later. But this is an absolutely remarkable. I mean, this isn't this isn't a UFO. This is a USO. Tell us about USO. it. Yeah. It. Uh, well, I'll share the facts with the uh, our listeners. And it, actually, it was reported just a few days after the incident had occurred. We're talking about a Friday night, the fifteenth of September, nineteen ninety-five. Uh, a young woman took the Staten Island Ferry from Manhattan down south to uh, her home on, uh, what's the island south of Manhattan? Roosevelt Island? No, not Roosevelt. Um, it's one of them, I think a borough of New York. In any event, she was taking the, the Staten Island Ferry, which runs every, I think, 20 or 30 minutes. And she was sitting on the upper deck uh, on the interior of the ferry boat, and suddenly a great disturbance began brewing on the left-hand side of the boat, and people were running from the starboard side of the ferry to the port side, to the left side of the ferry as it went south off Governor's Island. And she decided to walk out. She's glad she did because she saw the most magnificent object that was hovering and pacing the ferry uh, 
as it went to the south, and a huge object, she described it as a city, was hovering above the water, and the fact that it was there is underscored by the fact that it was frothing the surface of the water uh, as it paced the ferry boat. And Staten Island is where she was headed. Right. It was visible at 10.08 p.m. that Friday night, and MUFON New York actually did a video of it. I have a copy of it. It is very convincing. They actually went to the ferry dock and handed out handbills encouraging anybody who might have seen, been witness to that incident to come forward and share with the MUFON investigators what they had seen. And they got some very, very convincing uh, eyewitnesses to this event. So we know it occurred, and it was profoundly dramatic and very mysterious. We have no idea what that object was. And and she described it as uh, like a city? Yes. She said it was like a city had risen out of the water beside the ferry boat. And beyond that, I can't describe it any more than uh, I have to date. I have no idea what that was, but I'm convinced that it was a profoundly bizarre event that did not originate from this planet. Beyond that, I'm uh, hampered by lack of information, detailed information on what it looked like. But I talk about this case in public presentations quite often. Well, on the surface, it, it, I mean, it may be one of the most spectacular cases I've ever heard, something of yeah. that magnitude. Absolutely. And one fact I left out that MUFON uncovered in the course of their investigation is all of the tapes at the 911 facilities that people had talked with from the ferry boat had been pulled and were missing from their files oh, from the archives. Of course. Age-old uh, story. Yes, indeed. Did you receive any corroborating uh, reports? Uh, only from a few of the people later on, months later, when I visited New York to meet with the principal witness who had called in September, right after the incident. The incident occurred on the 15th of September, and I think she called on the 18th of December, uh, Tuesday, I believe it was. And... Um, uh, I traveled to New York following the MUFON Symposium in North Carolina in 1996 and met with her and talked to some of the other witnesses. And I must say, I was roundly convinced that they were reporting sincerely and accurately. Very, very interesting case indeed. Well, let's go up to uh, your neck of the woods, uh, Washington State again. And uh, this was a report from dozens, perhaps even hundreds of Washington state residents of a green-blue disc. Yeah. Uh, are you alluding to the April 22nd, 1998 incident? Uh, yes, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, that was actually featured in Peter Jenner Jennings' uh, two-hour special on UFOs. And unfortunately, it got very little coverage. I tried my level best to get the local news media in Washington State to cover it, and only one television station covered it uh, a week and a half after the incident had occurred. 
But what happened was a green, distinctly green-colored disc-shaped object that was first seen, interestingly, by a Canadian, former Canadian CF-104 pilot, a fighter pilot, was driving south. Uh, he was just north of Vancouver, B.C., and this object went right over his head, he reported. It went down to the islands just northwest of Seattle and uh, stopped and hovered for a few seconds. It was seen from as far away as Seattle. It then suddenly jumped a short distance and hovered a second time, and then it apparently descended and proceeded slowly and went right over Bangor Submarine Base at a very slow pace. In fact, one of the people who reported it to our center was a U.S. Navy engineer who saw a disk. He estimated it was 120 feet in diameter, plus or minus, you know, a few, uh, few meters. And it went right over the secure weapons depots where they keep what the U.S. military euphemistically refers to as special weapons. It rose up after it left the Bangor submarine base, accelerated, shot down to Portland, turned east, and when it was last seen by a deputy sheriff in near Yakima, Washington, it was going north at an extremely high speed, he said. So it executed from north of Vancouver, B.C., to Yakima, Washington. It covered that distance in an estimated two minutes to include several stops. Oh, my. Traveling at a blistering pace. Absolutely remarkable. I mean, these are not just sort of, you know, run-of-the-mill, I saw light in the sky. These are incredibly detailed and incredibly uh, profound, these sightings. Yes, you're exactly correct, Richard. And one of the witnesses I remember, we had dozens of witnesses call the hotline one of them was a Ph.D. in computer science. He was driving back from Portland to Seattle following a business meeting, and he was desperately shaken by what he had seen go over his car as he drove north on Interstate 5 from Portland. And all sorts of people claimed that this object had stopped, it had accelerated, it uh, rose in altitude, it uh, descended, and it was a very, very complex incident, all of which occurred in just a matter of a few minutes in time. Remarkable. I'm always, uh, yep. I'm always fascinated by the quality, uh, the credibility of the witnesses, and particularly this one that took place in Athens, Texas. This, was, this is a, a former fighter pilot and U.S. astronaut. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I welcome an opportunity to talk about this because... It was, it, in my opinion, ranks as being one of the best reports that I have on file at our website, ufocenter.com. I got a call from a gentleman who quickly identified himself as a retired U.S. astronaut. He lives in Athens, Texas. People can find him fairly easily on the Internet, I believe. And that night, July 5th, 2013, which is about a year after we started receiving numerous reports of clusters of red, orange, yellow, amber, and gold lights. He reported that he had been standing outside with his wife and their adult daughter. He was facing west. His wife was facing east. 
just admiring the clear night sky in Athens, uh, Athens, Texas. Well, his wife said, honey, look at this. He wheeled around to face the east, and he saw several red lights. I've forgotten the exact number of the initial cluster. Red lights coming from the east, they went directly overhead at very, very high speed, was his estimate. And he tracked them all the way to the eastern horizon. At about the time he lost sight of them in the west, uh, did I say the eastern, uh, the western horizon? Right, right. Uh, about the time he lost sight of them, his wife said, here comes some more honey. He wheeled around and here comes another cluster of red lights from the east, again, following the same flight path across the night sky that the first group had followed. And I think there were two or three, possibly four clusters of lights. I talked to him on several occasions. On, on one of those occasions, he said, Peter, I'll tell you how I feel about this sighting. He said, I don't know what those objects were, but I feel perfectly comfortable in telling you I don't think they were manufactured on this planet. Hmm. So he is, in essence, is saying it was a UFO sighting. And that's, again, coming from a former fighter pilot and U.S. astronaut. Um, yep. To Glendale, Arizona, and another uh, fascinating witness, this, this time a retired Arizona highway patrol officer. He oh, also yeah. saw a cluster of red orbs. He saw a cluster of 150 of them, or in several clusters, actually. That, too, is a case I welcome an opportunity to present to our listeners, because... This highway patrol officer, like the astronaut that we were just talking about a moment ago, was a, absolutely a rock-solid source of accurate information. I'm convinced of it. On the 28th of September, again, year 2013, he was standing in his kitchen looking out through a plate glass window to the north. And as he admired the night sky, a cluster of, I think he said, orange lights went very rapidly from his left to his right. He was so shocked by what he had just seen, he raced outside onto the deck of the north side, on the north side of his house, hoping to see these orange objects disappearing to the east. As he stood there, a second cluster of orange objects streaked by, a third cluster, a fourth and a fifth. He estimates, Richard, and you can read this in his report, that he saw approximately 150 orange lights moving at very high speed from west to east over Glendale, Arizona, which is a northwestern bedroom community to Phoenix. Here is the real mystery. I'm convinced that this gentleman was reporting accurately, and you can see in his report that he took a considerable amount of time to write a very nice report. But the real mystery is why did only one person apparently see these objects and report them. Uh, there must have been others who saw those orange lights streaking across the night sky, but so far as I recall from my website, we have only one, one report. It's, very, it's a greater mystery than the lights themselves is why we get so few reports about a dramatic event like that. That's true, that is fascinating. Uh, part of that, perhaps, people 
uh, are just reticent to admit they saw something for, for fear of some sort of recrimination, uh, yeah. being ridiculed, being mocked. Social censure has, is tremendously powerful. Yes, it is. And the one thing that, one estimate I've made is that uh, I estimate that out of 20,000 people, I'm speaking of Americans now, but it applies to Canadians equally well, I suspect. Out of 20,000 Americans who see a bona fide UFO sighting, only one will ever take the time and trouble to report it and write it down and submit it as a formal written report. One out of 20,000. It may run as high or as low, I should say, as one in 10,000, but... uh, it is as great a mystery as the mystery itself, the mystery of UFOs, why people don't report these events. That is remarkable. <laughs> My Lord. Yeah. And in the, in the data I have that is supportive of my statement is the Phoenix Lights. The, the investigators I've spoken with on this subject estimate that all told, we have somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 reports on file with all UFO investigation, investigative bodies, MUFON, New Fork, UFOs Northwest, all of them. And yet, how many people would have been standing outside at 7.30 to 10 o'clock on a Thursday evening on the 13th of March, 1997, in... Uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. The Mil- first reports actually were from Nevada. I suspect that millions of people yes. must have seen the Phoenix Lights and never talked about it. The governor of the state of Arizona, Fife Symington, a case in point, it took Leslie Kane 10 years to get him to admit that he had seen at least one of the craft that went over Phoenix that night. And yet we have all told. 1,500 reports. And by the way, one uh, one addendum I'd like to make to that, a lot of people have heard about the Phoenix Lights, but they don't know the whole story. They don't realize that the width of the object that was intercepted reportedly by two F-15s from the U.S. Air Force, the object was 8.23 miles from wingtip Yes, that is absolutely stunning. I, I, in fact, I just uh, spoke with Dr. Lynn Katai um, maybe a, a week and a half ago on my my Sunday night show, and I that's absolutely staggering, mind blowing to yep. say the least. So, Peter, once and again, how do people uh, submit a UFO sighting to the National UFO Reporting Center? Well, if it's a recent sighting within the last several days, or at most within the last week, they can call our UFO hotline. We've had the same number for 44 years. It is area code 206-722-3000. 206-722-3000. But if they catch me on the telephone, all I'm going to do is encourage them to sit down and write out a detailed written account of what they've seen and have them submit it using our blank online report form on our website. And that website address is just ufocenter.com, ufocenter.com. Peter, thank you so much for this update. Always a pleasure. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. We'll do it another time soon, and I'm 
indebted to you, Richard. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you, Peter. Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to fill you in on what lies ahead on the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited. He knew that we had finally solved the case through his confession. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. The last thing he said to anybody was to Suge Knight, and it was, I'm dying, man. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Coming up next time, episode 98 of Conspiracy Unlimited, part one of a two-part series on the murder of FDR. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 